We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. So we're doing our second live interview of the day here in Nashville, Tennessee, and we're recording live. This will be released later, but my guest is the triumphant return, popular the first time, back for more, running around like a crazy person, meeting after meeting, Jay Stallings. Jay, thanks for joining us. All right. Thanks for being here. Uh, I, I, I'm glad you have me here. And it's, I brought my own cheering section. I hope you don't mind. Oh, yeah. Can they stick around? <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For sure. Excellent. Okay. So, Jay, you're, you've been telling me we, we had dinner last night with you and some other uh, esteemed uh, chess teachers. Uh, and you were telling me about your schedule. You're, you're dressed, looking sharp today and, and yesterday as well. So what's going on? What's, uh, what's your schedule for the day? Well, first of all, Ben, you say I'm dressed sharply. But you haven't noticed the socks yet. Uh oh! So I gotta show those off. I've oh, gotta, nice! Yeah, I have uh, one white, one black, and uh-huh. with the alternating color chess pieces on them. So yes, your uh, your podcast audiences, I'm sure, appreciating that right now. <laughs> yes, so. of course. But uh, but yeah, thanks. Uh, schedule for today. I had a, a seminar at ten o'clock this morning on chess as an educational tool, and what we talked about in that seminar was how we can use chess and how chess naturally is something that is a tool for education. The first component of it was that chess naturally just teaches us intelligence. We become more critical thinkers. We're more resourceful. We are logical. Our calculation skills get better. And I talked to the, the attendees about the research studies that have been done that kids who play chess for an hour a week compared to kids who do a math class after school an hour a week and at the end, the kids who took the chess class score better on math. They have more improvement than the kids who took the math class. And it's not because... And they can beat them at chess, too. And they can beat them at chess. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, it's not because the math class was inefficient. It's because chess is so 
fun and wonderful that the kids go home and they play chess and they don't go home and do math. So they're continuing every hour you're teaching the kid chess, they're actually getting a lot more than that. And as a result, they're critically thinking hours during the week instead of just one hour. And it turns out really nicely. That was the first component of it. The second component, we talked about altering a child's mindset from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. And what that means is that a, a child who has a fixed mindset looks at obstacles, problems, challenges, and they say, I can't, I can't do that. The other kids can do that better. I don't want to even try that because I might fail. This other kid succeeded. That threatens me. And obviously adults have the same thing, but we can alter that mindset into a growth mindset by giving those kids opportunities to improve. And they improve by effort. It's not talent. We, you know, we think of intelligence as talent, but talent without effort is useless. So effort is what makes all the difference. And so we talked about different tools and ways you can do that. I showed a position that I'll teach to my children who I have identified as those that may have, ha may have a fixed mindset. I'll teach it to them, and then they'll go and beat kids that usually beat them in an equal position and sometimes even a worse position. And from that, they'll realize that if they open their mind to learning and give an effort, then they can actually change the outcome to be a successful out outcome. And hopefully they're then translating that back to the classroom, back to solving real life puzzles and changing their en entire mindset to say, I can grow from there. In the end, we went, the final one that we looked at this morning with chess as an educational tool is the idea that there's two different arenas. There's the, we learn and then we perform and we need to do both of those. You can't just go to a chess class after school once a week and take the class, learn from it, and not play chess all week. And you also can't play one game a week, two games a week, and expect to get better with that. You need to learn something, and then you apply what you've learned, in the, and when you're in the performance zone, and then you review and practice, and then you go back to the learning zone. You know, you're learning, and in the learning zone, you're not afraid to fail, to fail you're working on your weaknesses, you go back to the perf performance zone and you're no longer, you don't want to concentrate on your weaknesses. If you had trouble in the lesson with the French defense, don't play that in the tournament. If you had a, a, a tough time in queen and pawn end games, don't steer into that so that you can learn more during the tournament. You want to focus on your strengths and execution during the actual tournament. And so we do the performance, and then back to that. Um, I listened to a, a TED Talk um, from a guy, Briseño is his last name, and I think Eduardo Briseño, and he, he talked about this performance and the learning zones and said that he gave the example, actually, of a, a chess grandmaster, but he also talked about Beyonce, hmm. that Beyonce, every night, she watches the video from her show, writes notes, and by the morning, everybody has pages and pages of notes from everybody from her dancers to the musicians to the lighting guys, and the next night, it's a better show. I also mentioned at the end 
about Trevor Bauer, who I taught chess when he was little, and now he oh, pitches wow. for the Cleveland Indians. Yeah. And Trevor has always had that growth mindset. When he was a little kid, we would see him walking past the house. Uh, his dad, Warren, worked during the week, Monday to, to Thursday in, in another state, and then would come back. And his family was very supportive, but he had to do a lot on his own, and he had that growth mindset. He always wanted to be a baseball player. And even though he, he, he you can look him up, he's USCF rated oh, wow. and played in the state championship. But Trevor had always had that growth mindset and he would go to the park on his own and you would see him there doing push-ups, doing sit-ups, running around the park, taking two buckets of balls to center field and throwing them to home plate and working, working, working. And now I saw a video just last week where he was talking about how he was going to be the best pitcher he could be. And he was going to study Koufax's curveball or, you know, I, I don't know exactly who has all the best pitches, but, you know, uh, Drysdale's, you know, changeup or whatever, all, all these great pitchers from history. And he said, if I can have the, the same pitch that they have and work and work and work until I get to that, then I'll be the greatest pitcher in history. And I don't put it past him because if you have that growth mindset, I think you can do pretty much anything. And so in our seminar this morning, we talked about that, the chess is an educational tool, and it really can change the way a kid thinks, and it, and it actually grows their brain. After the seminar ended, a gentleman came up to me, and he had actually played football under Daryl Royal, a famous coach at Texas, and Dr. Seals is his, his name, and, and uh, he was a neurosurgeon. And he explained to me how the different ways the brain grows and changes. And we talked about the analysis of when a master thinks about a game and when an average player thinks about a chess game. And when an average thinks an average player is thinking about a game, it's the one half of their brain is active. But when a master thinks about the game, it's both halves. They're using the calculation and the logic, the creativity side. Uh, every, everything's going um, and firing on all cinder, cylinders. But he said it's a very important for kids to learn chess when they're young because that will grow their frontal cortex. I'm saying it wrong, but frontal lobe, there it is. Their frontal lobe, and, and that is something that will open pathways, neuropathways, that they'll be able to utilize their entire life. So by doing chess when they're young, they're actually becoming smarter. Wow, so so much to, uh, to unpack from that, Jay. Uh, you've... Touched football, touched baseball, uh, the, the brain. Uh, so one thing is I didn't know that Trevor Bauer was a chess player. He's a very, very well-known sort of amongst the, the baseball analytics sector, people who are big baseball fans who follow the stats because he's very open-minded about incorporating all the data that they have available with like stat cast and stuff like that and known as like a relentless tinkerer with the pitches he throws. True, yeah. So. It's good to hear. And I know that he had sort of a unique training method as coming up where he would just throw the ball from farther and farther, just right. like, you know, so there are these YouTube videos of him throwing the ball, like literally like out of stadiums because he just <laughs> built up his arm 10 feet at a uh, time, uh, just throwing it. So that's, that's pretty cool to hear that, that you taught him everything he knows. Exactly. Yeah. Every, every success Trevor ever had uh, is, is all due to Coach Jay. Exactly. Nice. I'm, I'm glad you understand that, Ben. <laughs> yes. And uh, so speaking of performance, another another topic that 
that you uh, that you will be presenting on, or maybe already have, is the first nationals. So here we are at elementary nationals, and this is one where the kids really have to sort of bridge the gulf between uh, what they've been taught and actually come in and apply it. And I know we've got a lot of nervous parents uh, in the facility uh, wondering how it's going to go for the kids. So what do you what do you say when you give this presentation? Well, yeah, I actually uh, put together three different slideshows for the first tournament seminar that we had yesterday before the tournament started. It's a good thing to have it before it actually gets going. But the first one was about the tournament format and rules. Made them, you know, made sure they understand what a Swiss system was, what the time control was, and how the pairings were made. Then we had um, one that called "You Should Know This," and that was all the rules that are weird: castling, en passant, and draws. Made sure they knew how to pronounce en passant. Hmm. And we uh, we talked about uh, the exceptions to Swiss system and. So that they would know if they're playing against each other on the last day, the kids, if, you know, if they find themselves playing on, against guys from their own state or their own team, that that can happen as the team sensitivity comes off of the, the pairing system. Made sure, though, that they are looking at all, at all their information to make sure it's correct on the walls, that they are on the right team, that their name is spelled correctly. We don't want it to be them playing for another kid, for example. If they want to... In the in round one, and it says they lost, you have to bring it to the tournament director's attention right away. You can't wait around and do that in round five after you've had easier pairings for the subsequent rounds after your you know misrecorded result. But we talked also about how the kids need to own this this opportunity, this event themselves, that they should get their own pairing, that they should write down their opponent's information, that they should go in and introduce themselves to their opponent, and that. When there's an issue at the board, they need to stop the clock, raise their hand, and uh, speak at the proper times to the tournament directors. Talk to them about asking for another tournament director. We actually have uh, one of my students in the room. She, uh, they, they used to live in L.A., but now they live in Atlanta. And she was playing, Lizzie was playing at our state championships. And the tournament director, who's a national tournament director, he came out of the room and came to me and said, ah, one of your students, uh, she's saying it's a draw. It's king and rook against king and rook, but I think it's only a draw if it's a king and queen against king and queen. She says it's a book draw. And, and um, I said, well, yeah, she's right. And he says, oh, let's, let's get the, uh, the rule book so we can check it out. And, and by the time we had grabbed the rule book and we're heading that way, she's confidently coming out of the room with a draw against a player 400 points higher saying 50 move roll. And so she had uh, she'd used her knowledge to to do that and come out and I talked told that story at the first tournament and good job Lizzie yeah <laughs> and and so it's nice to um, for them to hear a real story that knowing the, the rules and that kind of thing is is important and so uh, we made sure we covered all those rules I think that the parents that go to that seminar are now ninety percent more knowledgeable. Then you know they're nine, they're more knowledgeable than ninety percent of the parents that are here, and some of the parents have been coming for years, and I I even did hear one coach who said who asked me a question that I, that was answered in that seminar, so we all we can all learn. There's always something to learn, and and I've been learning a lot even uh, even this year after twenty four years of coaching chess. Yeah, um, and 
I imagine you get to talk to some of the parents. So what sort of vibe do you do you get from them? Are they just terrified or excited? Some combination? What's the uh, overall feeling when they come to this huge? I don't even know how to for people who haven't seen this hotel. It's hard to describe, but it's got like a giant indoor atrium that's like a maze. So it's quite daunting when you show up for the first time here. It is. It's a huge hotel. And uh, last night when we went to dinner, I was so proud of myself for getting efficiently from my room to the restaurant in, mm-hmm. in, uh, in just a couple minutes. But it takes 20 to 25 minutes that first time to walk from the the check-in area, you know, in the lobby all the way back to the convention center. It's just so huge. And, and you're always at an elevator or something nodding with somebody else and saying, yeah, I got lost again. And, right. and you know, there's, there's just that camaraderie you have with the other guests of, yeah, we're all, uh, we're all getting lost here today, but eventually we'll find our way. But to those parents, I remind them that, that chess is just a game and that at this tournament, there's 2,400 kids here and their goal is to not lose. 15, maybe 15 kids will hit that goal in this tournament. The other 20, you know, 2,385 or whatever it is, I'm not sure our exact attendance is, but those guys, they won't hit their goal. They're going to have losses and everybody's going to have bumps in the road. And I always like to remind them or I tell them the story of how my first tournament, I lost the first four games and then offered a draw after 10 moves to somebody else who had lost the first four games in his first tournament. And we gladly took the draw, you know, being able to hold our heads high right. finally in this tournament. And that playing against my dad when I was a kid, I learned a lot by losing. Yeah, We had played, I extrapolated out and I, you know, played him between seven and 8,000 times before I beat him. And that's a lot of losses, but we have to go in with this idea that we're going to improve and get better I, I do think that the kids need to go in with a mindset that they are better today than they've ever been in chess and that this is national. So they're going to raise their game to their highest level ever. So they should expect of themselves to play their very best and they should take their time. And if the faster your opponent moves, the slower you want to move. And I'll point out to them that if you look at the championship sections near the front of the room, everybody's still there after an hour and it's not because they can't figure it out. It's because they're looking deeper and being more careful and more cautious. So don't, don't try to impress anybody by moving quickly. That actually does the opposite. If you move quickly, we say, ah, it must be a new player. Yeah. And so a lot of times we think if somebody doesn't think quickly in so many endeavors in life, if they don't think quickly, we're, we're thinking, oh, they must not know what they're doing. But in a chess tournament, if we think quick, if we're moving quickly, then that obviously means the opposite. They must be a beginner that, they don't even understand all the different things they should be thinking about on the chessboard. So you mentioned losing in your first tournament. I also lost my in my first tournament. I was 0-4, and, and unfortunately, there was no fifth round. So oh, I, I didn't get a chance to, uh, to offer a draw in the fifth round. So I, I also always remind any my students of that. But speaking of... Uh, of getting used to losing. So my son is five years old and he knows how the pieces move now. It's unclear exactly how well he grasps checkmate, but I'm running into a problem where he doesn't want to play chess with me because I don't let him win. So what do you do? There's several things that you should do when you're encountering this situation where you're you're, um, a parent or even a coach that has a child who is very frustrated with the idea of losing. They're going to lose, but... And they need to get used to it at some point. But you can obviously play odds. 
and start with something ridiculous. You know, you have a king and eight pawns and they've got their entire army, something like that. Um, another idea that I've seen over the years is turn the board around. Yeah. At the end of the game, you know, there's, it's one move till mate and you turn the board around and say, can you find the checkmate? And then your child plays, finds the checkmate, maybe after a few hints and then brags to mom, I checkmated dad, I checkmated dad. <laughs> so they have, they're taken away from chess of positive experience. My dad showed me a lot of games of masters and I heard about a lot of masters losing. And so that, I think that helps too. And when we're seeing that, that other people can lose, obviously if you're, as you go on, you're playing with time odds, you can, you can do that. There's, there's building blocks too. And, um, we have, there's games like farmer and pigs where you have a queen against eight pawns. So they're, they get to strengthen their chest little by little looking at, at those, uh, those kinds of drills. I've, I've never heard it called farmers and pigs before. That's a, uh, where'd that one come from? You know, I got it from uh, Frisco del Rosario, uh, who's a chess coach in Northern California and, uh, ran with that. It's now actually in, um, my new books, but it is, it's something that's a nice way for the kids. It's just a queen against eight pawns and the pawns are a tricky piece because they can move two on the first turn. They can't go backwards and they capture differently and then they move. And so that's a good, nice, unintimidating way to learn is to play that, play a, a game of farmer and pigs with the farmer trying to capture all the pigs before they make it out of the pen. And of course the queen, not only is, does she have her own powers that the kids are learning, but you're seeing how the rook and bishop move when you're using the queen. So uh, the only piece really left to understand after you play farmer and pigs is the knight. The knight's not involved, but you know, the king, you can just tell the kids, oh yeah, it just moves like the queen, but only one square. And the bishop moves like the queen, but not up and down side to side. And the rook the other way doesn't go diagonally, which is interesting. Have you, have you taught a lot of kindergartners, Ben? Yeah. So when you teach kindergartners and you say the bishop moves diagonally, say diagonally. Mm-hmm. You know what they say back? They say diagonally. Yeah, they do. Pretty much all the time. So I, I think we actually get that word wrong. I think um, we need to change that in our lexicon right. from diagonally to diagonally. Sure. And, uh, it's, <laughs> I, so, it's so common. Yeah, it, it is. It's uncanny. So yeah, we always spend like minutes practicing it because they, they never get it right the first time. <laughs> it's true. Uh, so you mentioned, Jay, the books that you've just come out with. When you were last on the podcast, you were just launching the Kickstarter. So let's let's catch our listeners up. What What's the status? Well, I, I want to thank everybody for, our, the, for the support. Uh, the Kickstarter was able to raise $28,000. And because of that, I was able to not only pour some time into it without my wife saying this is going nowhere. Mm-hmm. You know, she's always been extremely supportive. I mentioned that on the last podcast. But got to mention it every time, though. Oh, yeah. Well, and tomorrow's Mother's Day <laughs> right. as we're recording. So um, happy Mother's Day, honey. But also, uh, I was able to get printing quotes for large numbers and because the, of the backers. And so with that in mind, I couldn't have done that. And we also couldn't have hired the, the layout artist that we hired, Peg Arrington. She is a magician. And, and we have uh, Matthew Yates is here in the audience, one of our, our Kickstarter supporters. And he ordered two sets. I handed him one of the books to look at, and he opened it up. And I think before he read a word said, wow, I love the layout. Yeah. And I've been getting that all weekend. I've been showing it off to the coaches. And Mike Klein from Chess Kid, he was... I think he was like four feet away and Ben Feingold and Robert Hess, grandmasters were, were looking through the books. And he says from 
across the uh, the room and says, "Wow, they look great," and hadn't even hadn't even looked at a, a single word. But when you have a great layout, it's it's kind of like having a microphone that you didn't have before, and you were having a whisper, and and suddenly people are going to be reading what before was just a textbook that looked like you know an accounting book or something like that, and now with this with this layout. It's uh, it's really jumping off the page. It breaks things up really nicely with colors and images and and different lines. I things I can't even describe. Um, somehow Pegs managed to to do that, and we were just inc- extremely fortunate to find her. Excellent, yeah. And I just want to echo what everyone else has told you that it, it does look great. So I'm, I'm glad that that worked out. Twenty eight thousand dollars. That's really impressive. Well, thanks. Yeah, um, my partner Kyle Sellers. It, he was my a student of mine in my very first chess class. And now uh, Kyle uh, is my partner. He was my partner in the app. And then we move forward and, and have done all this printed stuff together with the Kickstarter. He is really great with the social media, um, with new ideas. He's a pioneer. <laughs> <laughs> so he, help, he helps push me in and get those things done. I... Um, I did want to mention also, I, I know we're bouncing back and forth a little bit, but tomorrow I, I have one more seminar. We have the international, preparing your child for international play. And I was I feel very fortunate that U.S. Chess has hired me to come in, in here and, and step in for Jerry Nash, who no longer with U.S. Chess, but has been an icon and and really paved the way for all these lectures and seminars at, at the events. And... Tomorrow's lecture, I have never actually attended an international event, so I had to go out and do a lot of research. And I talked to Jerry and got his advice, and I, I talked to Aviv Friedman, uh, who's served as head of delegation, and Michael Kodokarski, the same head of delegations and coaches, these guys, international master Armin Ambartsumian, who's always a coach there. But I also talked to some of the players, Robert Hess and uh, Tatev Abrahamian. Um, both of those have been guests of yours. And they uh, they had great advice to give, and I've managed to incorporate that along with the facts and figures from Boyd Reed and Grant Owen from U.S. Chess. Uh, Grant is the events, the FIDE events director for U.S. Chess, so he he coordinates all those things with any issues with FIDE. So would this audience be amongst like the stronger players who are here? It will. Uh, some people might bounce in just because they're curious or. And maybe they they've seen where they are, and they have family in Spain or in Greece or in in Chile, uh, which are where the uh, the Chile is the Pan Ams coming up in ooh, July, and then um, and then the uh, World Youth, which is now separate from the World Cadet. They used to be together, but the World Youth is under eighteen, under sixteen, under fourteen, and boys. Or there's an open section and then a girl section. And then that is going to be in Greece. And then the World Cadet is um, going to be in Santiago de Compostela, which is in uh, northern, northwestern Spain above Portugal. Mm. And if you saw the movie The Way uh, with Martin Sheen, he takes the pilgrimage um, to Santiago de Compostela. It's a, a great site for a pilgrimage and a great movie. And... I'm pretty tempted to go and check it out myself, even though uh, I'm I'm not on the team. Mm-hmm. 
I am a FIDE trainer, which I think gives me access to the floor. So I can, uh, can go and, and check and see what's going on. And that happens in early to mid-November. And then after that, I hear there's a little chess event going on in London that I might be able to sneak across and, and uh, go cheer for Fabiano uh, and his, his efforts against Magnus. Love Magnus, but Fabiano's American. And, um, and I have uh, been on a, a winning team with Fabiano before. So I, I uh, have extra connection with him. Nice. Yeah. So are you, you think you're going to make this trip happen to the world championship? I am going to give it every effort. I'm, I think probably I need to promote my books internationally. Yeah, they're not right? going to sell themselves. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I think uh, it sounds like a business expense to me. Business, I mean, business trip. Sorry. I right. didn't mean to say business. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, it sounds like a business trip, very necessary to our marketing department needs. Awesome. Yeah. And you'll be able to find someone to cover your classes, I gather. Yeah, I'm very fortunate. Uh, for example, while I'm here, uh, uh, Coach Sam, Sam Kennedy, one of my employees, taught my classes last night and he's running the training that we have going on today. We have uh, championships going on for our organization next weekend. And so uh, he's, he's there to do that. I have 12 employees and of my 12 employees, eight or nine of them, I taught when they were in kindergarten or first huh, grade. That's great. And now they are in, in between the ages of 19 and, and uh, 26 I guess my, the ones that used to be my students. And then I've got a couple, couple others that are older. Okay. And I see you've got some students here playing as well. Yeah, it's, it's good. I, I didn't encourage my students to come to this event only because every time I work it, I feel like they're going to travel you know, thousands of miles and spend a lot of money and I won't be able to give them any time. I won't be able to review their games and things like that. And I, and that's a big part of, of going to nationals is you're playing your very best chess and the highest level, the, you know, the big setting, and you need to get your games looked at so that you don't make the same mistake in round three that you made in round one. And with me not able to do that, I, I feel bad to encourage them to come all this way, spend all that money, and then not coach them. Right. Well, you can look at their games when they get home, but yeah. There's... Right, but it's, yeah, but it's not the same as, as uh, learning at the event, and right after the game, the kid still knows in their head what they were thinking. So when you're explaining it, it means a lot more to them. I think it sinks in and, and is a better lesson. Yeah, and it's good to establish the routine. Uh, there's something, I mean, kids generally, hopefully have the idea of looking at the games, like any game they play, but there's something in nationals with the team rooms and often like uh, a school will have more than one coach that I think it can really help the kids establish good habits of like, this is what you do. You play and then you analyze um, and don't do one without the other. It's a funny thing too, how the kids don't want to look at their losses. And right. Those are the ones ironically that they need to look at more. Yeah, for sure. But at the, at the lower levels, there's plenty of mistakes when they're winning too. So, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that you're rated 2000 and you're, and when you win a game, you played it perfectly. I think you can always learn from every single game that you play and perhaps some of those super gyms have have played some perfect games, but yeah. uh, but it's not happening on my, on my side of the board. Yeah, likewise. Um, so you you mentioned the Kickstarter campaign that's been a big success, and I know that took up a lot of your time. Do you have any like new big projects in the works with uh, your organization? The Kickstarter has taken up a lot of time. Um, we're not actually we don't have every book produced yet. We have. Eight of the 14 are printed, and 
Peg is doing the layout right now for purple and then after purple is blue and black. So that's, that's still a little bit more time with that. And I think I'll probably focus on that for now. We have uh, your usual stuff. We have a couple of weeks of summer camp next month and our son Jackson is getting married. Oh, congratulations. And thank you very much. And he has a wonderful uh, fiance, Alex, and they live in Boulder and they'll be coming back to California for the wedding and reception in our backyard. Oh, so nice. that reception in the backyard, my wife, uh, I called her last night. It, it, it was uh, 10 o'clock there in California and I could hear something in the background. And I said, is this a bad time to call? Do you have friends over? And she says, oh, no, I'm just spackling. <laughs> so... She's always always got something going. My wife's very big on uh, fixing the house and and getting everything ready. She built a deck last week and sanded and stained the other one. So you know, <laughs> right? It's a uh, so yeah. We have a busy summer. Excellent. Um, so Jay, and yesterday we we checked out the bookstore and you were showing me a book. I know that la- when we had you as a guest previously, uh, you gave some recommendations, but you were able to show me something new. So whether it's that or something else, do you have any new recommendations or new uh, teaching slash chess learning methods that have caught your attention? Well, um, that's, that's always a great question. And I love it when you ask all the guests and it was fun to hear the recommendations from Mike Hoffpower and, and Carol that they did earlier in the podcast before because not always chess related, but the first book I would recommend make sure that everybody gets is a book called coach Jay's chess Academy. And there's oh, a heard of it. Yeah. yeah there's there's a white belt and it goes yeah. all the way to black belt. Fantastic uh-huh. stuff. Uh-huh. I, you know, I do want to mention with these that each position that I created, I worked really hard to make sure that it was the, the most instructional example I could find. I wasn't just, you know, going in a database and grabbing the first thing that, oh, oh, there's a pawn chain. I'll put that in the book and then somehow work it, the instruction around the position. But instead I was looking at the ideas and I would literally have a stack of books next to me that were everything from reassess your chess, which I recommended on the last show, uh, to best lessons of a chess coach with Sanua Wiramantri and, and uh, different, you know, middle game books, old and new. And looking through those and using those, pulling out everything that I could in order to to find the right material. I I used Inside Chess magazine from yeah, 1998 or something, you know, something like that, and and old Chess Lives and uh, Chess Digest. I used so a- anywhere that I could grab something, I would go in and jump and grab that. And as far as you know, that was funny. What we looked at yesterday. Uh, we went into the bookstore and and found a book by, I think his name is Mikolaisen, something like that. Uh, he's a FIDE instructor. He's always uh, has the surveys there on the on the FIDE site. You can go in and actually anybody. You don't have to be a trainer or anything. You can go into the FIDE website and download these surveys. They call they're act- it just for us. We would say lessons, and he writes a lot of those those lessons there. But they're the book we looked at was interesting because it was queen and pawn endings and over half the book didn't have any queens in it on the positions. They were pawn, king and pawn endgames. But as chess coaches ourselves, we know that you need to have a really deep and thorough understanding of pawn endgames before you can get to the queen endgames because then in the queen endgames, you know when you can trade and when you can't and when you know what kind of exchanges you should be doing. So, so I, I thought that was a very interesting book. I can't recommend it yet because we didn't actually look through it but i would imagine 
with that approach, it's probably pretty good. Yeah, it looked good. It was funny when you were showing me because at, at <laughs> first I was like, oh, you know, I thought that that's where it was going because um, I thought, you know, the first 10 pages are king and pawn endings and the book's called queen and pawns but probably they're building up to it but then you kept going and kept going and i thought did they just misname the book did, <laughs> did this make it to publication with uh called called queen and pawn endings when it's only about king and pawn but they did get there eventually so it's like when when there's a joke and like where the joke is that they keep repeating something and you never know when they're going to stop and you think it's going to be repeated three times but it's repeated 12 that was sort of the feeling i had uh but yeah they do eventually tie it together and it did it did look look good um and that's true then you know the one other book i think we should probably recognize is one that probably led to the the big news last month which was sam shanklin winning the, yeah the uh, u.s championships and and he wrote a pawn structure book and said that he he felt that he really didn't ever have the grandmaster understanding of the pawn structure until he wrote this book and they I heard yesterday that it's sold out right now. You can't get it. Huh. Wow. And, and he's playing in Cuba right now at the Capablanca Memorial. But I'm not surprised. And it makes sense that he did so well and became a super GM. He's over 2,700 now and uh, finished ahead of three top 10 players in the world to win the U.S. championship. It makes sense that he had just written a book that was a strategy book, not a tactics a calculation book. He's always going to be good at those. But when we're when we're writing about strategy, I think it elevates our game. And that was also true when Nemzovich wrote My System, 1929, 1930, and 31 were great years. If you look back at history, Nemzovich had great success in those years. And I, I attribute it directly to his writing of My System in 1929. Yeah. So. Yeah. And uh, first of all, congratulations to Sam Shanklin. Just an, an amazing achievement. The Way to go, Sam. Yeah, the result he had in that tournament. And I, I had mentioned, and of course, he was on Perpetual Chess back in its uh, salad days and in its infancy. <laughs> um, and I, one thing that really resonated with me from his interview was he was, I think, around number 70 in the world at the time. But when I asked him what his goals were, he said his goal was to be the best in the world, uh, which, you know, as a a 25-year-old, I think he was at the time, somewhere in that range. So I feel like some grandmasters would be afraid to say that because um, if you're 25 years old and you're number 70 in the world, obviously that's amazing. That's incredible to you know 99.99999% of the world. But it's rare for, a, I don't know if it's actually happened for a 25-year-old who's number 70, whose peak is number 70 in the world to then ascend and break through to the top 10, let alone to number one in the world. So for him to have, and it's been a year and a half since that interview, so for him to have been grinding, grinding, playing, playing, and then just have this sort of breakthrough where it seems like he's found another level, it's uh, it's um, inspiring for all chess players, I think. Well, yeah, and, and I mean, first of all, I must say that Probably because he was on your show, right? Yeah, that he was able to ha to uh, move forward from there, write a book, and then become U.S. champion. So as I finish these last levels of the book, I'm thinking, I don't know, maybe 2020. Yeah, probably yeah. be U.S. champion. Yeah, maybe so, they'll let you play when you go to London. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, if maybe if Fabiano's sick one day, <laughs> right. I can just sit in, yeah. and take care of that. But also back, harken, you know, back to what my seminar was about to chess as an educational tool. When I talked to Dr. Seals, the neurosurgeon afterwards, he said, 
that we continue, our brain continues to grow until we're in our 30s. And I know a lot of people say it mid-20s or something like that, but Sam's brain is still growing. Mm-hmm. So, and because he's working on new ideas, it's important to work on new ideas. A uh, current issue of Popular Science says that if we are working on new ideas, things that we haven't done before, that actually has been proven to increase our brain mass. And so he's working on these new ideas with the pond structure. His brain is growing, number one. Number two, he has a growth mindset, right? Mm-hmm. He's definitely has high aspirations and doesn't say to himself that Fabiano's smarter or I could never be that. He looks at Fabiano as an inspired by him and says, hey, if he did it, I can do it too. And so he looks and says, I'm, gonna, I'm going to go after that. And of course, he's also following our last one, which it was the learning zone and the performance zone. He's, he's definitely doing both of those. He's learning. And we saw in the interviews from St. Louis, the, the great team that they have going there with Yasser Sarawan and Jennifer Shahadi and Maurice Ashley and all those guys, that in his interviews, he talked about how he was working on his chess and improving his chess. And so we always have to look forward and, and try to improve what we're doing. A story a lot of people may not recall was that Sam Shanklin, when he became an international master, he grabbed his norms, just boom, boom, boom. And then within, I think, a month, he had two GM norms and he was just rocketing up and he thought, this is easy. And then he didn't get his next GM norm. And I think, I think, I might be misquoting him, but I think he went for a year when he didn't get his norm, and then he quit chess for a while, saying, okay, I'm done with this, at least take, taking a break. And when he came back, he was refocused, and he, and he grabbed that final norm, and then we know the story from there. He's moved forward. Bobby Fischer quit chess in 1969, and then for 18 months, worked and worked and worked, and lived and breathed chess. And when he came back in 1971, we know that story, too. He was unstoppable. He won... 20 games in a, in a row against grandmasters. One was a forfeit, but, um, but yeah, he, 20 games in a row against grandmasters is just an, incredible. Yeah. And, and so Fisher definitely had that growth mindset also. I can achieve whatever I want to achieve, even if I don't have a team of, of seconds behind me. As uh, you, were, you were alluding to with Mike Hoffpower, what are they going to do to support Fabiano? And Mike says, we'll work to do whatever Fabi makes Fabi comfortable. And for Fisher, he had Lombardi, who I think for the most part was giving him ice chips uh, <laughs> and patting them on the back and yeah. and uh, and things like that. Fisher was working on his own, and Spassky had, of course, a whole busload of of Russian GMs there to support him. Yeah. So Jay, I just have one or two more questions before uh, before we let you go. So I know that you're a confessed listener to Perpetual Chess. Oh, so. I am. <laughs> so as such, I was curious if you have any uh, any guests, uh, any dream guests, um, anyone that you think that I, has any voice that you think has been missing from the conversation? Oh, man. I, I uh, had dinner. We had dinner last night, Ben, you and I, with a, a bunch of esteemed people, including Bruce Pandolfini. And to hear him tell stories yeah. just was amazing. Just He says, oh, and when I was interviewing Botvinnik, mm-hmm. and then this one time I got Ruben Fine and Sammy Ryshevsky and Botvinnik together, and you're like, what? You yeah. know, and, and so these, uh, you know, Bruce and um, 
of course, uh, there's, you know, I don't even never had Mike Klein on. Right. Yeah. So, stalker. so, uh, Mike is currently the one who's most connected to the, inter- the world of international chess, maybe Ian Rogers, right. Uh, right there with him, of course, but, but Mike Klein, he plays tennis with Magnus and basketball and soccer. He, you know, he's not so much on the soccer, but he does it because Magnus needs an extra body, but he, he knows these guys intimately and his friend, he's friends with all them. And so his stories are, are always, uh, fantastic stories to hear. So I'd love to see, uh, see Mike Klein on here. And we, uh, we ran into Elliot Neff yesterday and basically the, the main guy to me, as far as I know, in Northwest United States, uh, Washington area, he's from Bellingham, and he has done amazing things up there. And so, yes, I, I know that you're, you're already in talks to get him on the show and, and, yes. and that would be a great thing. So, you know, those are, those are some of the big guys. I, I'd love to see some of the guys from ancient, ancient times, uh, come on some of the, the people, I don't know. Can you get a Boris Spassky? You know things that like that. You know, I mean, yeah, it would it would be uh, it would be really really cool yeah. to have have those kind of kind of guys on on the on yeah. the show. Melik Katyan's Spassky story definitely uh, wet, wet my appetite to, <laughs> to hear more I've from Spassky. I've convinced several people to listen to your podcast just by <laughs> telling them that story <laughs> right. and saying, and there's a lot more like that. Yeah, but I I've enjoyed stories like listening. I I I like of course chess history. We mentioned that before. But also hearing the practical side of things with uh, Adam Weisbart yeah. from uh, Silver Knights and, and his growth you mindset. Know, yeah. mindset. I mean, geez, he, he went out there, realized that he, was, he, he wasn't a chess coach, needed to be a chess coach, listened to other people, learned their ideas, and then, he, and then um, went across the country and, and worked hard everything, every day to build that business. And then, uh, of course... Had uh, Ben Feingold talking about his struggles with the Atlanta Chess Center and and successes, and so if we if we keep listening to these kinds of shows, we're all going to become better people. I just ran into Max Delugi. Um, he's a he's a, a great guy to have, and he uh, he's opening up his own center later this month in New York City on First Street. And he, I, I told him you've got to listen to the Ben Feingold episode because it's always nice to learn from others mistakes as opposed to right, exactly. uh, suffering those mistakes. Yeah, as any chess player knows. Yeah. Right. Um, excellent. Well, Jay, uh, I think that we've, we've covered what we need to cover. I know you've got a ton of meetings. Um, do you have a question or any questions or I think we're okay. I think we are good to, uh, to move on. Fantastic. Uh, well, it's, uh, it's always great to, uh, to see you, Ben. And, and my, this was my first time to see you in person this weekend. So uh, nice to meet you. And, and uh, you're as, as handsome as you are on, on the podcast. Oh, so. thank you. You're too kind. I'm <laughs> not, not, not a sharp addresser, but. Uh, well, but, you know, I, I have all these meetings to conduct. So what are you going to do? Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you, Jay. And uh, look forward to talking to you again sometime in the future. All right. Thanks. And go Fabi. <laughs> yes. The new Perpetual Chess theme music is courtesy of Geert Vandervelt. Special shout out to him. I also want to thank everyone who supports the podcast. That includes people who tell their friends about it, people who write positive reviews on Apple Podcasts, and most of all those who have donated to support the show. I spend about five hours a week on each episode, and even though I love doing it, it can be hard to find the time. Without the support of my Patreon and PayPal Perpetual Chess partners, the show would not be possible. They are... Adam Ralph, Adam Vrancoulge, Adrian Gutierrez, 
Andres Krizdewa. I hope I did okay there, Andres, on your name. Alex Pejas, Chris Wainscott, Chad Hilton, Chris Lott, Christopher Wood, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Chris Flanagan, Daniel Naylor, Daniel Schaefer, Gary Andrews, Greg Shahadi, James Banastia, Jason Dunbar, Jennifer Valens, Jeffrey Martello, John Fernandez, Jen Shahadi, Jen Scream, Jerry Wells, John Thompson, Johnny McMenamin, Kelly Palmer, Krishna Gopalakrishnan, Lorraine Dore, Matthew Passy, Macaulay Peterson, Matthew Tedesco, Pascal Charbonneau, Paul Sweeney, Peter Lux, Peter Merrifield, Randy Temple, Ricky Grijalva, Rob Lazorchek, Robert Steiner, Tatia Vabrahamian, Thomas Stonix, Thomas Tachenko, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Todd Bryant, Tony Rotello, Victor Vrenkul, Zhao Cheng, and Zhivko Stoyanov. Thanks a lot, everyone. I'll be back next week with another great... Podcast Network.